0: Good morning,
1: good morning, welcome to MRCC, a nice rainy Sunday in Washington, spring Sunday in Washington. Did you guys, have you checked the weather report for next week? Okay, you're clapping, you're clapping, but let me tell you, it's not fun, because you know what's going to happen, it's going to get sunny, and then, poof, allergies. Like, I will not be able to see out of my eyes next week because the cottonwood is going to be so bad. But, I mean, if you like the sun, that's fine. I'm a rain person, so today is a wonderful day to me. Uh, I just want to welcome you here to MRCC. If you don't know who I am, my name is Tyler. I'm the youth pastor here so I get to hang out with all of your kids on Wednesday nights. Uh, But I am just here to bring a couple announcements Uh, this morning. We have a lot going on today and tomorrow. Uh, First off, in room 105 after service at 1230, we have a missions lunch. Uh, If you didn't know, we just sent a team to Uganda, they got back about a week and a half ago. Uh, And this is uh, just something that they get to share what God did in Uganda, their experience. Uh, And then also, um, if you're interested in missions, this is the time to get connected uh, with our missions team. Also coming up today, there's a slide. Now, uh, that uh, is a Young Families Connection lunch. The date and the time are wrong. It is happening today. And it's at 1 p.m., not 1230. Uh, It's in Buckley. Uh, The address is in the bulletin. If you have any questions about what it is, uh, you can talk to Pastor Brent. He is in the sound booth and he's waving right now. Oh, he's giving me thumbs up. There you go. Uh, It's just a time for uh, new young families uh, to be able to get connected with each other and get connected here at MRCC. Coming up tomorrow night is Band of Brothers. Uh, If you are a dude and you like to eat food and talk about war stories, you think I'm kidding. I'm not. Uh, Tomorrow night is the the night for you. It is uh, just for guys, and we just come together, and uh, Pastor Greg gives a message, and we learn more about Jesus, but utilizing war stories. So if you don't think that that can happen, uh, I encourage you to join us tomorrow night at 630 here in the sanctuary also, coming up in a few weeks, uh, we have a class put on by Pastor Greg. It's called Living a Called Life. Uh, if you want to know what God has for you, the direction that he wants to take you, and you want to be able to seek that out and learn more about where uh, you should go in life, uh, this is the class for you Uh I believe it's on a Saturday at 8.30, uh, May 6th. If you want to sign up, uh, sign up online at mrccnow.org. You want to open your Bible this morning to Luke chapter 7. That's where we're going to be.
0: Yeah, we'll pretty much never have Ty do announcements again after that. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. kidding.
0: Thank you, Tyler, and, and good morning. It's good to see you, church. And by the way, a huge thanks um, to Andy Newell, who was leading us in worship this morning. So... At uh, 4 o'clock this morning, Pastor Weston called him up sick and asked him to lead this morning. Can we appreciate him for coming down and jumping on top of that? Yeah, huge thanks. Really appreciate you for that, Andy. And and it is good to see you this morning. Welcome, church. Um, It's fun to see the progress on the construction outside. Before you know it, we're going to have that whole new children's wing, and that is just a cool thing. We're looking forward to that. Thank you for your patience and grace and dealing with the traffic and the mess and the crowds and all that. And thank you for your faithful giving that makes that whole thing a debt-free journey, a debt-free achievement for our church. So huge thanks for all, all of that this morning. Um, can you do me a favor, kind of a personal one? Uh, this weekend, it's my wife's 59th birthday. Could you say happy birthday to my wife? And- She did not want me to do that which is precisely why I did it and that's that's how you stay married in case you're wondering but uh... Luke's Gospel, Chapter 7 this morning, uh, if you want to turn there. Bunch of sickness going around. Uh, actually, Janae, Pastor Weston, Tabitha, and the kids' team, several other folks uh, sick. We were in Idaho last week for a network conference with the Assemblies of God Churches in the Northwest, and I think it was a big Petri dish because about half of us came back from that sick. Uh, but God is faithful. My wife says it's going through her office, too, so if it's in your home, uh, we're praying for you. Uh Let's get through this fast. 80 degrees next weekend sounds awesome. Even if it makes Tyler miserable, I'm all in uh, for 80 degrees next week. So good stuff. Luke's Gospel, Chapter 7, uh, this morning. And, and welcome uh, always to everybody joining us online, both live streaming on the podcast right now. We're thrilled to be with you as well. You're us. And so it's great to see you. I guess I don't see you. It's great to be with you. It's great for you to hear me. Can I say that? I don't know. But what, that's what's happening here. Um, Luke's Gospel, chapter 7. And in church, this morning's going to be a little different. Because as we continue what we're calling this, this road trip with Jesus, the second half of Luke, chapter 7, deals with an incident we wouldn't expect. If our faith were a made-up faith, if it were not a real-life, real-people reality, then this story we're going to encounter today wouldn't be in our Bible. It's the kind of moment that from a certain perspective, from what we might call a sales perspective, is not the kind of thing you want to put up front. But because it is the reality of our faith, it's part of our Bible. Here in Luke chapter 7. And so let me begin by, by asking a rhetorical question of you. And I know the answer, so no show of hands or anything. But have you ever felt completely overwhelmed? I mean, we all have. And, and we probably will again in our life. That, that feeling of you just want to say, man, I give up. This is too much. It's overwhelming. I don't have the answers. I don't know how to get through this. I don't know how to overcome this. We all sometimes feel overwhelmed, and when we do, we're tempted to doubt things that we know are true, and that's what we're going to deal with this morning. You know, when I think about feeling overwhelmed, I wonder if your dog or your cat is like ours, which is that on the 4th of July, they completely freak out. Does anybody else have that experience? Our dog on the 4th of July, when those fireworks start, she just completely loses her mind. She's in abject terror. She runs around the house looking for places to hide. She hides in the closet. She hides under the bed. She hides in the kitchen. Goes upstairs, hides in the bathroom, hides in the washroom, hides on our lap, jumps off our lap, under the table. Just nothing can console her. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, drug your dog. That's what drugs are for. We do. It doesn't work, <laughs> all right? Give her like triple tranquilizers, and she's still freaking out. And, and the sad thing about it is she's in absolute terror even though she's not in any danger. I mean, I, I, every time this happens, every year when this happens, I think that we, you just feel bad for her because she's so scared, she's so afraid, she's desperate to find somewhere to hide but the reality is, right, she's in no danger, none whatsoever. She's as safe as she could possibly be. But see, that's what happens is sometimes things can overwhelm our reason. They can overcome what we know. Most of the time, she thinks that, that me and Rhonda can do magic. We make water appear, food appear, things happen, doors open. We do all kinds of amazing things. But when the fireworks happen, she loses touch with that, and we can't even console her or calm her down. Whenever I think of her at the 4th of July, it reminds me of of one of my favorite quotes. Uh, Most of my favorite quotes are something Jesus said, but this one is something Mark Twain said, and you may have heard me say this before because it's one of my favorites. Mark Twain said, I have suffered many things in my life, most of which never happened. (laughs) Yeah, think about that for a little bit. I have suffered because we live in apprehension, anxiety, fear. We live kind of like the dog on the 4th of July. And God wants to talk to us about that because sometimes we can feel so overwhelmed that it changes our thinking. Let me say that again. Sometimes we can feel so overwhelmed that we lose our ability to think. We lose our ability to reason. We lose touch with what we know to be true. I think of when God was leading Israel out of slavery in Egypt and you probably remember that story. You know, God supernaturally intervenes, plagues, rivers of blood and all kinds of stuff, miracle after miracle to to deliver Israel from Egypt and and then as they're being delivered from Egypt and they find themselves led by God into a, a box canyon, the Red Sea in front of them, rock walls on either side, an Egyptian army from behind. Yul Brenner and Charlton Heston showed us exactly what that looks like, you know, back in the day. And in that moment, the Israelites cried out in this way. Exodus tells us about it, chapter 14. They cried out against Moses, their leader. They said, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out into the desert to die? sarcasm's been around a long time hasn't it what have you done to us bringing us out of Egypt didn't we say to you in Egypt leave us alone let us serve the Egyptians it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than die in the desert you know this is not Israel's greatest moment can I just say that But whenever I read through this moment, whenever I remember this part of the story of the people of God, I always want to shout at them, hey, you guys, have you forgotten all the miracles God just did? There were the plagues. There were the interventions in front of Pharaoh. There was the Passover, the striking of the firstborn. By the way, all that loot you're carrying on your back, God just caused all your neighbors to give that to you. God is supernaturally providing for you at every step in this journey Why would you doubt him now? And of course, we know what happens next. God parts that Red Sea. Israel passes through. The Egyptian army is drowned. But it's a moment that kind of illustrates what we're talking about. In that moment, Israel felt so overwhelmed that they lost touch with the reality, with the truth of God in their lives. Discouragement can do that to us. Feeling overwhelmed can do that to us. It can bring us to a place of doubt. And maybe this morning, that's where you are. Or maybe you can remember a time where that's where you were. Or maybe not far ahead of you are some circumstances and situations that you haven't anticipated that you don't see coming. And when they come, you're going to feel overwhelmed and begin to doubt. In this passage of Luke's gospel, we're going to see that happen to, of all people, John the Baptist. And we're going to see Jesus respond to him. We're going to see Jesus reach him in the midst of his doubt and his discouragement and show him the way out of it the same way that he wants to show you and me the way out of it when we're struggling in that way. Look, look church, here's what you've got to understand if you want to be real about your faith. Doubt can touch the best of us. It touched Abraham. He's our very example of faith. And yet, there were multiple times in Abraham's life when doubt overcame him, when God's promise seemed like it wasn't going to happen. And so he took shortcuts and so he stepped out of bounds and doubt afflicted him. It happened to Moses many times and in many ways. He was overcome by doubt. It happened. To Elijah, the greatest prophet in the Old Testament, right after one of the greatest spiritual victories of his ministry life, he plunged into a suicidal depression. Why? Because of doubt. Because he was overwhelmed by his situation and his circumstances. It happened to my favorite prophet in the Old Testament, Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. The prophet who told the truth in hard times, even when even the religious crowd was off target Yeah, Jeremiah wrestled with doubt to the point that once he said, I wish I'd never been born, God. Yeah, it can happen to the best of us. Happened to Peter. We saw that a few weeks ago on Easter. Happened to the Apostle Paul who wrote to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians. Uh, We were under such pressure, we despaired of life. We felt the sentence of death on us. We felt like it was all too much. And perhaps most amazing of all, this doubt thing, even afflicted jesus himself for he cried out from the cross my god my god why have you forsaken me not many sermons are written on that moment but some should be because in that moment he's feeling overwhelmed doubt has a grip on him he is struggling now understand something Also in that moment, Jesus is achieving the greatest victory that was ever achieved on earth. He is washing away our sins. He is giving us eternal life. He is reconciling God and mankind, a holy God and a sinful mankind. This is his greatest triumph. And yet in the midst of it, what's he wrestling with? He's wrestling with that that doubt, that feeling that overwhelms us. As we're going to see this morning, doubt and discouragement touched someone Even as hardcore in his faith as John the Baptist. But there is a way through it. A way to overcome it. And God wants to speak to that this morning. He wants to speak to the doubt in your life. Maybe you're in that season right now. If not, he wants to prepare you for when that season comes. Or he wants to speak to you about the hurt that you carry from that season in your past. C.S. Lewis wrote beautifully about this tendency to doubt. He said, faith is the art of holding on to things your reason has accepted in spite of your changing moods. Yeah. Doubt has the power to disconnect us from truth, and faith is grabbing hold of that connection again. And we're going to see John the Baptist doubt, and we're going to see Jesus respond to him in that so luke chapter seven beginning with verse 18 remember we're on this road trip with jesus all the way through luke's gospel we said at the beginning of the year we're doing this because there's so many fake jesus's out there so many people who are using his name but it's not him it's not the real one and we said well how can we distinguish the difference jesus said hey pay attention to me listen get close to me watch me and you'll be able to tell the difference my sheep know my voice it's not a pr- it's not hard You just got to stay close to him. And so we're on this road trip through Luke's gospel. So here, chapter 7, beginning with verse 18. Here's what the Bible says. John's disciples... John the Baptist, not John the Apostle, but John the Baptist. John's disciples told him about all these things. In other words, his disciples told him what Jesus was doing. And and more pointedly, in kind of this chronology of Luke, John's disciples told him, hey, he's reaching out to to Gentiles, to Roman centurions, not just to the Jews. He's kind of confronting some of the religious leaders of the day who are out of whack. And, and, And John has to be told this because John is in prison. He's in a dungeon. He's been thrown there by the king, Herod, at that time, and he's facing a death sentence. And so disconnected from all the things that for most of his life he'd been intimately connected with, the spiritual life of the people of God, disconnected from that, his disciples are telling him what Jesus is doing, the Jesus that he announced, the Jesus that he pointed to, the Jesus that John was the first to identify as Messiah, but now John's in prison. His disciples are telling him what Jesus is doing. And then it gets weird. He says, calling two of them. So John, you know, he sends most of them away, and he just grabs two of them, his, his good buddies, uh, those close friends that you talk to over your kitchen table about real things. Calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask, are you the one? Are you really the one? Are you the guy that I said you are? Or should we expect someone else? Now, what a profound moment this is. The question that John is asking is the exact opposite of who John has been all along. But it's the question that's on his heart. It's what's in him. And so the scripture says when those men, those two guys, those close friends, when they came to Jesus, they said, hey, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, are you the one who was to come? Or should we expect someone else? Now, every time I say, are you the one, you're picturing Keanu Reeves playing Neo in The Matrix. That's not what we're talking about here, all right? John the Baptist is asking, hey, I know that I said you're the one, but man, am I struggling right now. It's hard in prison. It's hard in the dark. It's hard being isolated, disconnected, cut off. I'm struggling here. Are you you the one? You know, again, if anyone would be someone we would anticipate would not be susceptible to doubt, it's John. But our Bible tells us that that's exactly what he was wrestling with. I wonder if you sometimes wrestle in the same way. If you do, there's no shame in it. You come from a long line of serious believers, and we're going to talk about that in a moment. You see, doubt can come to everyone and usually does more than once to us. We have moods. We have seasons of life. We go through circumstances, and they bring changes to us. You know, Maybe it's when parenting gets really hard. You know, when the kids are little, they're cute, and and they're easy, relatively speaking, but then they grow up and become teenagers, and it gets a little harder, somebody say, man, we go through those struggles, and we, we love them so much, and we want so much for them, and they're struggling, too. They're trying to figure out how to grow up, and that's not easy, and... We go through those difficult times, and sometimes we feel overwhelmed by them. We feel like, man, I can't do this. I'm not a good enough dad or mom for my kids. I'm not doing a good enough job for them. And, and we're overcome with that, that doubt, that sense of, I don't know if I can do this. Around our house, we like to say that you don't necessarily succeed at parenting. You just survive at parenting. But when you do survive, you do succeed. Can I say that from a little further down the road than some of us? But it can cause doubt. Maybe it's when sickness brings infirmity into your life. You know, at any given time, we as a church, there's a lot of us, we're praying for three, four, five people who are wrestling with serious stuff, cancer, you know, other things like that. And When you're going through that, man, that's debilitating. It wears on your heart. It wears on your mind. wears on your body. And sometimes we can find ourselves overwhelmed to the point of doubt. Sometimes it just happens as you get older, as you get later in life. Your body, you know, it doesn't have as much juice. You're not as strong. You hurt in places you didn't know you could hurt. These days I joke that I always wonder if when something hurts, if it's because I hurt it or just getting older. There's a saying that old age isn't for wimps, and it's real. It's real. Everyone who has reached that season of life knows what it feels like. And it can be, it can feel overwhelmed. Man, I can't move. I can't do. I can't go like I used to. John's feeling that kind of thing. And and for others, it goes even deeper. When dreams that we've held on to for a lifetime begin to seem as if they're fading or dying, we can wrestle with doubt. We say, God gave me a promise, but was a long time ago, and it hasn't come true yet, and and we wrestle with doubt and discrimination. John is dealing with that. John is feeling that kind of thing. Again, just like Abraham, just like Moses, just like Peter, Paul, there are so many. If you're a serious believer, it's only a matter of time until you struggle with doubt. But here's the thing. When you struggle with it, that's a sign that you're on the right path Gang, understand this. What doubt does to us is it makes us ask questions. And when we ask questions, that's when our Father can teach us. That's when our Father can grow us and learn. We tend to think that the Christian faith is designed to bring us to a place of contentment where we have no needs whatsoever. We just sit down, park it, hang out, I've arrived. But that is not the Christian faith. We are invited to continually grow up into the image of Jesus Christ, to continually learn, to grow in faith. And that's going to go on forever. Subject for another time, but it's, it's a reality. Questions lead to answers. This is why Jesus said, hey, he who seeks, finds. Jesus doesn't say, I'm just going to drop truth into you, you know, from the internet somewhere, from outer space, and just plop onto you and suddenly, you know, you know. He says, he, she who seeks, finds. I remember as a young believer being captivated by this idea. Uh, over in Proverbs chapter 2, that first year through my Bible, that first year of my faith, this passage just grabbed hold of me and it's never let go. Proverbs chapter 2 says this, My son, if you accept my words... And store up my commands within you, turning your heart to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding. And if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand. You will gain understanding. You will know what is true. You will come to recognize what's going on in your life. Doubt is what triggers that process. It's the catalyst that causes the seeking. And the seeking then leads to the finding. You know, this business of seeking, I think of uh, a story about... uh, Greek philosopher Socrates, who was renowned as a teacher and maybe an apocryphal story, we don't know for sure, but the story goes like this. Young man came to him and said, Doctor Socrates, I, I want wisdom, I want understanding, I want to learn. Will will you take me as your student? And Socrates looked at the young man for a moment and then he said, Here, come with me. And he walked him through the streets of Athens, down to the beach, out into the surf until they got out to about chest depth. And then Socrates, who was also an amateur wrestler, turned and grabbed the young man in a headlock and dunked him in the surf. And he held him under the water until the young man couldn't hold his breath anymore and he started to choke and swallow seawater. And then Socrates pulled him up out of the water and dragged him up on the beach, laid him down. And when the young man caught his breath, he said, Son, when you want wisdom like you just wanted air, then you'll have it. It was an invitation to seeking. And in the same way, doubt can spur us to ask the questions that lead us to grow in our faith. John is feeling that. He's in a long, hard place that looks and feels like a dead end. And it's all the more difficult because when you look back at his life, he's done everything right. He's been God's man from the moment of his birth. I called a Nazarite, you know, never touched alcohol, cut his hair a certain way, was always at the temple, was dedicated to the Lord by his parents, dedicated himself to the Lord. Walked with him all of his life. He's been obedient in every way. He's been brave when Herod or the Pharisees or the Sadducees confronted him. He stood in front of everybody and said, here's the one. This is the Messiah. This is Jesus. He stood in front of the whole nation and said, you're going the wrong way. Turn around. He's been God's man at every point. And very often, there's a shallow version of our faith that says, if you're God's man, God's woman at every point, then it's going to be one unbroken success after another. But that's not John's reality, even though he's done all those things. He finds himself in prison, facing a death sentence, in the dark, in the cold, alone. And so he doubted. He wrestled with doubt. He's been humble. Remember the whole locust and camel hair stuff? He's, he's been God's man all the way through. And yet he finds himself here, and he wonders what's going on. You see, part of what John is wrestling with is that he had a set of expectations around Messiah. Oh, Messiah is here. So there's some things uh, I'm looking forward to happening right away. This is stuff I thought was always going to happen when Messiah was coming. He was mistaken about some of those things. And sometimes the same thing can happen to us. We say, oh, God, I need you in my heart. And then he comes into our heart and he challenges us. We say, wait, I wasn't up for that. I just want you to affirm me. I want you to make me feel better. I want you to give me warm fuzzies. God says, no, I'm aiming deeper than that, Greg. Have a greater work to do in your life than just give you a momentary pick-me-up. And here's John in prison feeling all of that. Doubt grows from that kind of emotional weight. It grows from the weight of adversity. It grows from the weight of disillusionment. Hey, God, I did it your way. Why am I here? It grows from isolation. Can I just say to you, if you're wrestling with doubt, the worst thing you can do is isolate yourself. That's the tendency of the flesh. We want to get alone and have push everybody away and be by myself, but that only compounds it. John's experiencing that, that isolation. Weariness, he's tired. He's said and done a lot for the Lord, and it's worn him out. That weariness is weighing on him. Doubt comes to you from listening to your critics more than you listen to God. And lots of us do that. We pay more attention to whoever's criticizing us than we do to the God who loves us, who fathers us, who seeks to teach us and parent us. Doubt comes, can I just say, from thinking that Herod is winning because you watch too much news. Somebody say amen. Turn it off. You should be listening to God's word ten times more than you're listening to the news. John the Baptist is wrestling with some of that. Doubt comes from thinking Herod's winning because all we ever do is read the headlines. Doubt doesn't grow from truth. Doubt is what happens when our emotions cause us to lose touch with truth. Let me say it again. Doubt doesn't come from seeing the situation as it really is. Doubt comes from losing touch with the truth that's bigger than the situation. And that's what's happening to John. You know, I remember... When I was in the military and uh, my first duty station was in Iceland, so I get on a plane to fly to Iceland. And it's a military cargo plane, so it's not like a passenger jet. I'm sitting in a little canvas webbing seat. And I just happen to be right next to the cockpit so I can see into the cockpit. And, and these are also, you know, military pilots flying. I can hear them, I can reach out and touch them. And so as we're taking off, I'm kind of listening to them chatter, and I'm kind of looking. It's cool. I can see the instrument panel and all the stuff they're doing in there, thinking this is kind of cool. And I notice that as we take off from New Jersey, we head north. I'm thinking to myself, why are we going north? Must be like an air traffic thing. We've got to make a loop, you know, go around something or somewhere somehow. Because if you look at a map, right, Iceland is east of the United States, right? So it's, it's to the right. I'm thinking we should go that way. But we don't. We're going north. And at first, I think, well, they're just doing some detour thing, blah, 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 whatever. I don't understand piloting. But then we just keep going north. And so after a while, you know, it's casual. Guys are talking and chatting. I said, hey, sir, why are we flying north? I mean, we're supposed to be going to Iceland. I'll never forget what he said. He looked at me like I was the dumbest kid on the block. And he says, the world's round. It's round. You go over. And I remember sitting there and going, boom, my head. Oh, right. It's not actually right to the east. My map is flat. It's round. Boom. My head's just, I'm still kind of getting over it today, you know, all these years later. But see, my, my, my doubt, my anxiety didn't come from being in touch with the truth. It came from being out of touch with the truth. And that's what's happening to John for all the reasons that we talked about. And here's the thing. The way Jesus responds to him is beautiful. But, but before we look at that, let me make a distinction for us because it's important for us as growing believers. You know, when, when we wrestle with doubt, we feel bad about ourselves. Will Rogers said the worst part about feeling bad is feeling bad about feeling bad. And we feel like we're failures when we doubt. But the Bible doesn't paint that picture at all. Doubt is different from what we call the sin of unbelief. Doubt is when we question God. Unbelief is when we reject what he says. And they're different things. Questioning God, doubt, is the road to faith. Unbelief, when we reject what he says, that's where the sin lies. Let me give you a couple examples. Job spends almost 40 chapters questioning God about everything. And his buddies come along and say, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't question God. But at the end of the story, God shows up and he says to his buddies, hey, shut up. I'm paraphrasing. He says, he's more righteous than you, even though he's full of questions, even though he's full of doubt. You guys, pipe down. His doubt is actually growing his faith. Yeah. We see the same thing with that that father who had a a demon-possessed son in Mark's Gospel, chapter 9. And he comes to Jesus and he says, I do believe you can heal my son. Help my unbelief. Help my doubt. Jesus says, okay, gotcha. Yep. You'd be honest like that, you'd be transparent, you'd be real, I'm there, let's go. I'm going to take your tiny mustard seed of weak faith, and I'm going to heal your son, and he did. So so doubt is different than sin. Unbelief is when God says you're forgiven, and you say you aren't. That's a sin. Unbelief is when God says something is wrong, and you say it isn't. That's a sin. It's not the same as doubt, it's very different. Doubt is when God says that you are saved by grace through faith and you say, I'm not good enough. That, that, that's the sin. It's when we reject what God says. But doubting, asking questions, that's the first step to faith. Doubt has the potential to dominate us. When, when those uh, Israelites, when the people of God were delivered from Egypt, they went through the, the wilderness and they got to the promised land, and God said, I'm going to take you in there. I'm going to plant you there. It's going to be awesome. I got you. I'm leading you. We're good. But they peeked over and said, oh, man, there's tough dudes there. There's big cities, big guys, big armies. I don't think we can do it. They put it this way. Numbers chapter 13, we seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And Then we get the same old song and dance that we saw back at the beginning. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land? Only let us fall by the sword. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Even though God said I'm going to take you into that promised land. They fell into the sin of unbelief. Doubt can disconnect us from what God has for us and it feels inescapable. But, but The difference between doubt and unbelief makes all the difference. Because when we take our doubts to God, that's when he overcomes them in us. In a moment, we're going to see John do that. Well, we already saw John do that. We're going to see Jesus' response to him. You see, in our doubt, when we're questioning, when we're seeking, that's when God teaches us. That's when God fathers us. I like to tell about how, you know, uh, we grew up going to the same camping spot in northern Idaho for years and years. Uh, we'd take our son, go there for a week every summer. And, and because he was an only child, he'd always bring a friend. So he'd pick a friend. He had a different friend every year. And the story was the same. We'd get there, and Isaiah would just loved our camping spot. As soon as we park the car, he's out of the door and in the river. He just, he's like 80% fish even to this day. He just loves the water. He's in the river immediately. And once he gets in it, he's, he's in it until the campfire that night. He just doesn't get out of it all day long. But his buddy, he's wouldn't start out that way they'd get there the first day and they'd run down to the edge of the river and they'd tip their toes in it or they'd wade in a little bit and Isaiah splashing and swimming and going all over the place and they and I say hey it's it's more fun in the river just jump in just get over it. it's gonna be great you're gonna love it you know and so this process would always happen that first afternoon I would say hey you know what you're gonna love the river it's awesome once you get in just jump in you just gotta do it once you're good to go they hum and haw and hum and haw. And then I say, you know what? Eventually I say, you know what, if you, if you don't jump in, I'm gonna throw you in. <laughs> Your parents aren't here, so I can do that. I'm in charge, right? So you don't, oh no, no, ha ha ha, we laugh. And they still don't get in the river. <laughs> and so eventually, almost every time there come this point where I say, okay, you're going in the river. <laughs> I'd catch them and they're like, no, 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 until you throw them in. And then, oh, this is awesome, and the rest of the week, they're just locked into the river for the rest of the week. They, what do I know as a father that they don't know? I know that there's greater freedom for them in the river than out of it. I want them to experience and know that. So I'm going to teach them things they don't think they want to learn. And, that, and then the, the last part, every time I say, are you glad I threw you in? Yeah, it's awesome. You don't have to throw them in anymore after that just can't wait to dive in. God does that kind of thing in our lives. The freedom of fearless faith is something he wants for us. The Apostle Paul, in contrast to this moment in John the Baptist's life, the Apostle Paul writes some of the most brilliant parts of your Bible while he's in prison. Same circumstance, but a different experience. And God wants you to know and feel and experience the difference. So John does something important. And here's where we kind of turn into the home stretch this morning. He takes his doubts to Jesus. He doesn't just say, i got to figure this out on my own. He doesn't just get his buddies together and say, hey, I need a little therapy group. Let's put together a little self-help thing. Let's meet regularly and pick each other up. No. He takes his doubts directly to Jesus. And the way Jesus responds reveals something deep. Look at verse 22. So he, Jesus replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The Lord doesn't say, yes. Go back and tell him yes. No. Because he knows John needs something deeper than that. The Lord says, go back and tell him what I'm doing. Tell him what you have seen and and heard. Invite him to look at me again. Do you know why Jesus says that? Because Jesus knows that in his heart, John knows. That John's doubt doesn't actually go as deep as John thinks it does. And neither does yours. And so Jesus doesn't say, hey, here's my 46 reasons why you should believe in me. He doesn't say yes. He doesn't say, John, get your act together. He just says, Go tell him what I'm doing. He knows. He knows in his heart. All he has to do is get back in touch with what he knows. Jesus doesn't coddle him with a fluffy, inspirational pick-me-up. He doesn't berate him for feeling overwhelmed. He doesn't bust him out of prison with a miracle. He doesn't lecture him on monkish serenities. You need to get the peace on the inside. He doesn't reason with him. He doesn't exhort him to have more faith. John wouldn't be asking questions if he didn't have faith. Instead, Jesus says, you know, look again. Look again at me. Remember what you saw in me. You'll be all right. That's what you need. You need to remember what's true. Jesus invites him to remember what's true more than what he feels in this moment. Faith is the art of holding on to what your reason has accepted in spite of your changing moods. Jesus knows John is having a mood. Now, John doesn't want to be told that, neither do we, but it's true. We're having a mood. When we're having a mood, gravity doesn't change. Reality doesn't change. We're just having a mood. Jesus knows that's true for John, too, so he invites him. He invites him to remember what he already You know, in the fall of 1982, there were 60,000 Wisconsin Badger fans watching their team in their stadium, on their campus, getting destroyed by the visiting Michigan State Spartans, just getting wiped out, down 40 in the third quarter. But sportscasters noticed that even though this destruction was happening in front of them, these 60,000 people would periodically burst into wild cheering and high-fiving each other and celebrating and hugging each other. And they go, what is going on? They're getting killed here. So one of the sportscasters stepped outside the booth and saw some people just deliriously cheering. He said, what are you guys doing? And what he discovered was that those 60,000 fans, a huge number of them were wearing headphones and were listening on the radio to the Milwaukee Brewers beating the St. Louis Cardinals and winning the World Series at that very same moment. And so they're just cheering. What was in front of them was less real than what was happening. And that's what Jesus invites John to remember. Listen, churches, we get ready to close this morning. If you're wrestling with doubt and discouragement, when you wrestle with doubt and discouragement, the way out is to take your doubts to Jesus. Go back to his word and listen again to what he says and does. Really, that's what Jesus tells the disciples to tell John. Hey, tell him what I'm doing. Get him back in touch with what's happening here. That's what he needs. He knows. Take your doubts to him in prayer. Take your doubts to him in your worship. Get rid of the lying, false prophets promising prosperity and instead get back to the real Jesus and what he says and what he does. Go back to your own personal experience of him. You know, here's what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. We're just about to close. He says this, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, today and forever. Do you remember who you discovered him to be when you first believed? Do you remember that day when you first believed, that time in your life when you first became a Christian? Do you remember what you saw and what you felt in him? He hasn't changed. He is still that savior. He is still that shepherd. He is still that healer. He hasn't changed at all your circumstances, your adversities, the challenges this part of your journey that has caused you to disconnect from that truth. And the way through doubt is when Jesus says, "Hey, remember? Remember who I am. Go tell John what I'm doing. It's the same as I've been doing all along. Go tell him again, he'll be fine, and he is. And he is." Scripture goes on to say John is faithful till the very end. Church, the way through doubt and discouragement is to remember that Jesus is the same now for you and in you as he was when you first believed. That hasn't changed at all. And he invites you to remember that, to grab hold of that. Let me finish with a story. I have a good friend. And uh, when his son was a teenager, he wrestled profoundly with drug addiction. It was bad. It was bad. He and his wife sought to parent their son through those challenges, and it was rough. It was tough. And as this problem festered, they got to the point where the son's behavior was endangering the home, himself, the family. So finally, after a long stretch of struggling, they had to say to him, son, you've got to make a decision. Either you stop using the drugs or you can't live here because of the danger that you pose. He says, I need you to make a choice right here and right now. And My friend tells with tears in his eyes how it felt when the sun said, I choose my drugs. And mom had to say to him, okay, give me your house key. You can't live here like that. So the son did. Having nowhere else to go, he, he went outside and got into the car that his parents had got for him and he folded his arms up to go to sleep as a homeless person that night. As it got dark, my friend who was in prayer for his son with his wife felt inspired and he got his coat, hat, gloves, boots He went outside in the dark to the curb where the son's car was parked and he sat down on the curb and he had a plan. His plan was well if my son can't be in my house I'm going to sit here all night and watch over him so he's safe. My son noticed the dad was sitting there and after a few minutes he rolled down the window and he said what are you doing? friend said son I'm your dad you've made a bad choice but I'm still your dad I'm going to sit here tonight and watch over you so that you're safe sleeping in your car you can go ahead and sleep there just know that I'm going to be here all night watching over you my friend tells about how in that moment he saw something in his son's face break as his son discovered that he really wanted his parents more than he wanted his drugs And in the same way, God wants you in your doubt, in your discouragement, in your struggle to remember who he is. Your father, your savior, your Lord, your master, your teacher. Because that is the way out of your doubt to remember who he is. Would you bow your heads with me? Close your eyes. Maybe you're wrestling with doubt right now, if that's you. Jesus is saying, the way out of your doubt is to listen to me, to look at me, to watch what I'm doing, to hear what I'm saying, and to remember that faith is way down deep in your heart, to remember who I am, that I am the same yesterday, today, and forever, that I am the same Savior you first believed in, even though this part of your journey isn't what you expected. But I am still the same, and I have the last word on your journey. God wants you to hear that right now. He says to you, bring your doubts to me. I'll meet you in the middle of them. Bring your prayers to me. I'll meet you in the middle of them. God, we thank you for your word this morning, and we thank you for the way that you gently and respectfully showed us. The way out of his doubt, the way through it. And God, sometimes we feel like he did. Help us right now to hear you inviting us to bring our doubts to you, to you personally. We pray for that. We thank you, Lord, for being present in this moment and in every moment. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me, church? It is your own experience with Jesus that he calls you back to. So now may the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit go with you throughout this week. Go with God. Tell someone you love them. Have a great afternoon.